His name was Theodore, and I first met Theodore when he was a middle schooler in New York City, back when I was running the New York City chapter of Focus, which is a Christian outreach to kids in the independent schools. Theodore came to one of the many weekday morning Bible studies in a diner around the corner from his school. His classmates and him would gather in their blue blazers and school ties before going off to school. Theodore showed up one morning for the first time, and he announced to me and to the group, he said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of this stuff. I'm here for the food. (laughs) And he repeated that line almost every week that he came for months. One day, his father actually called me up and summoned me to his midtown office to talk to me. His father was also an atheist, and the dad wanted to know what kind of harebrained things I might be teaching his son. He was very concerned. I was surprised that Theodore kept coming week after week, even though he told me that his heart was not open to these things. It surprised me even further when Theodore agreed to come to our summer camp one year. He came up to Martha's Vineyard, where the focus camp is, and I remember the third or fourth night of the week, I got to give the big come-to-Jesus talk that we always give at those camps. And I remember watching Theodore's face. It was lit up like a light bulb was hanging over top of it. He came up to me afterwards and he said, I believe it now. And I remember that night we were going to bed in the cabins and Theodore wasn't in his bed. I heard him pacing outside the cabin on the gravel road. So I went out there and I asked him, what are you doing out here? And he said, I just can't stop thinking about all my sin, all the things I've done against God, but I'm also thinking about how much God forgives me. He totally got it. His heart was opened to the gospel. I don't know why I was surprised, but I was. Until about five months later, when I met Theodore's grandmother. She was visiting from Texas. And I remember when we met, she grabbed me by the hands and she was looking me in the eyes with tears in her eyes. And she said, even before Theodore was born, I was praying that God would send someone like you into his life to share the gospel with him. The power of a praying grandmother. The power of praying women. It was around that time that I learned that the ministry of Focus was started by a guy named Peter Moore, but it got most of its early funding from a group of praying women on the north shore of Long Island who themselves had come to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in the 60s. Everywhere I looked, I would see these behind-the-scenes women and sometimes men praying, and I learned not to be surprised over the years. When I see somebody who I wouldn't normally expect coming into the kingdom, I just wait till I hear about a praying grandmother or an aunt or a mom or a sister. There's a pattern that I see as the kingdom expands across the globe, the power of praying women, men as well. We see it unfold in today's story with Lydia. God had given some women an assignment to gather and pray week after week on the Sabbath. God had also given an assignment to Paul, the evangelist, to leave his home and to proclaim the gospel throughout the known world. God is giving assignments to all of us, and it's how he's growing his kingdom. We can learn a lot from this story about what our assignments might be in God's big plan to expand the kingdom. So I want us to look at it together again. We're going to go through these verses. 
And I want to just show you some of the amazing details of how God was on the move, giving assignments. It's Acts chapter 16. If you've closed your Bible, go ahead and open it up again. We'll be looking at some of these verses together, starting in verse 6. And they, they meaning Paul and his companions on this missionary journey, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, there's a lot of place names there in that verse, and there's several more that follow. So I want to show you this map just to show exactly where we are here in the ancient world. You see down here where it says Judea and Jerusalem? How do you like my laser pointer? (laughs) Never seen that in church before, have you? Got an applause? I've been so excited to use this all week. You know, Professor Chuck Davis never used a laser pointer. What was that? What was going on there? See this? Anyway, I got a little sidetracked. So Paul, let's read these verses again because this is pretty amazing what's happening here. It says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Do you see Galatia up here and Phrygia? They've left Jerusalem And they're going up this way, and it says the Holy Spirit has forbidden them to go to Asia. Okay, so this is verse 6 and 7, it says. Uh, Verse 7, when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This is Bithynia. You see Bithynia right here? So they're heading out from Jerusalem, going north. Holy Spirit says, don't go to Asia. Spirit of Jesus says, don't go to Galatia. So Paul, I think, rightly would think, okay, Lord, you want me to turn right? Because you're telling me not to go here. When they come to Mysia, he thinks they should go right. And it sort of makes sense, because as Paul is leaving Jerusalem, he might go up here, Holy Spirit says, don't go there, don't go there. So maybe Paul's thinking, okay, I should turn right and just come right back down. We've done our missionary journey, we'll call it good. But what does God say in uh, verse 8? So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. This is verse 9. A man of Macedonia was standing there. You see Macedonia way over here, way across the sea. See, they wanted to go to Bithynia. Holy Spirit says no. Spirit of Jesus says no. But a vision appears of someone from Macedonia. And he was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So God sends three signals, three messages to Paul and his companions. Don't turn right, turn left. Don't turn right, turn left. So Paul and his companions are turning left, they're going, and finally God makes it abundantly clear by sending a vision to them. And there's a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. So verse 10 says this, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Yeah, I'll bet you concluded that. God made it quite clear. What can we learn from this? A lot of things. I just want to pause right here for a moment. I can kind of get inside the mind of Paul. As I said a few minutes ago, if I'm leaving from Jerusalem, going up here, Holy Spirit says, no, don't go left. It kind of seems to make sense to go right and kind of come home. But sometimes God calls us to the much harder path right? Sometimes God says, come over to this place. Maybe you think, but it's, you know, we got to get in a boat, God, to go that far. Are you sure you want us to go over there? And by the way, when you look at some of the places they ended up, you realize God wasn't keeping them safe. They get beat up in a couple of these places. 
So God really was calling them to the harder path, the harder journey. But look, look at some of these cities over here. Philippi, which is where today's story takes place. Corinth. Thessalonica is in there. Do those sound familiar? Does it sound like the New Testament? First and second Corinthians. Philippi. First and second Thessalonians. Have you ever heard of first and second Bithynians? <laughs> no. You see, God knew that the whole New Testament would unfold if he called Paul and his companions over to Macedonia. God had assignments for them over there. Now, when we hear this story, this journey of the Holy Spirit saying no, the Spirit of Jesus saying no, and a vision saying come, we might think of two objections to this kind of thing if we try to apply it to our own lives. The first one might be, well, gee, I wish God spoke to me that much. Spirit says no, don't turn right, turn left. Spirit of Jesus arrives, and then a vision. But I think God is speaking to all of us this much all the time. It's just that Paul and his companions humbled themselves, took the time to pray, to listen, saying, Lord, should we go to Bithynia or should we go elsewhere? You guide us. I've heard many, many stories of people stopping to pray, saying, Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. And we get sensations. We get feelings. He is gracious to send signals, to send signs, sometimes even in visions. I've heard so many reports of visions. So God is still speaking. And if we humble ourselves to listen, he will speak to us. The second objection of trying to apply Paul's journey to our own is we might sit here and think, well, yeah, that was Paul. He was a missionary. Of course he needed to ask God, should I go left or should I go right? Should I go here or should I go there? He's a missionary. I'm not like that. I'm a business person. I don't need to ask God whether I should do this business venture or that business venture. But let's look at what it says in Scripture to business people in James chapter 4. Maybe you know this passage. It says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this or that. You see, the same posture that Paul and his companions took, saying, Lord, is it your will for us to go here or to go there? Is it your desire? What is your assignment? All of us can have that same posture in our business, in our lives, in our relationships, in our career paths. We can say, Lord, do you want me to turn left or do you want me to turn right? And sometimes he's gracious to give us signals and answers. Sometimes he's not. And he wants us to apply the wisdom that he's given us. Sometimes we can live just like Paul, and guess what? Sometimes God calls us to the harder path because he knows that there's assignments out there for us. Paul had an assignment. Paul had many assignments, but we read about one of them today. Let's read about how this calling by God landed an assignment for Paul. Let's pick up the story in verse 11. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, 
and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. If you track that on the map, you would see exactly where Paul was going. He's just going exactly where God called him through that vision. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, look at the specificity of this. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, I just want to explain that phrase, place of prayer. It's an interesting phrase in the Greek. It's very similar to the word synagogue. But what we learn in ancient Judaism is that the tradition was you needed 10 men to make an official synagogue. So if you didn't have 10 Jewish men in a town, you'd gather with whoever was there, and you wouldn't call yourself a synagogue, but you'd call yourself a place of prayer. And so it seems that the only believing women, the only believing people in this town were women because Paul and his companions, they find this group of women praying by the riverside in a place of prayer. They're worshiping God just like people would in a synagogue, but it's unofficial. So they showed up. This was their assignment week after week to show up by this riverside, to gather, to pray, to worship God. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Here's Paul's first assignment. Why God sent the vision of the Macedonian man saying, come over here, don't go to Bithynia. So Paul traipses all the way across land and sea, and he just happens to arrive at this riverside at the exact moment a group of women are praying, including one Lydia. What do we know about Lydia? We really only know about her what it says right here in this chapter. She's a seller of purple goods. That means something pretty specific in the ancient world. The only people who would wear purple at the time of Lydia were kings, queens, princes, dignitaries. This means Lydia was well connected. She's a seller of purple goods. That means she runs with all these very powerful people. Purple was such a precious commodity that I read in one place that the weight of purple dye was worth its weight in gold. If you had an ounce of gold and an ounce of purple dye, they were worth the same price. Lydia was a seller of purple goods. Can you imagine her Rolodex, who she had in her favorites list on her iPhone? Very wealthy, connected people. We know that she too is wealthy because it says in verse 15 that she invites Paul and his companions over to her house and she prevails upon them. I'm guessing that Paul and the folks from Israel were surprised by Lydia. They'd probably never met a woman like this. A woman with agency over her own business and her her own life. I read somewhere that in this time, a woman could never invite men over to her home without the permission of her husband. Lydia doesn't seem to have to check with any man. She says, come on over to my house. I'll prevail upon you. Lydia has agency over her own life. Paul and his companions probably never met anybody like her. And yet she was their assignment. They had traveled that whole distance to come and meet her. They didn't know it, but God did. 
And I'm wondering if some of Paul's companions, when they met Lydia, a woman like her, I wonder if they started thinking, oh, this makes sense. This is how God's going to expand the kingdom. A person like Lydia with a person like with her contact list. Imagine the kings and queens who are going to hear the gospel if she gets converted. All of her influence, all of her power, maybe this is how it's going to work, but if we begin to think like that, if we begin to think we have to just influence the rich and powerful, I see people oftentimes praying for celebrities that they would come to Christ because then they could influence all their Twitter followers and so forth. I think we haven't read the rest of the Bible. Do you know who God uses? He uses everybody. Have you heard of Mary, the mother of Jesus? She had no roll the deck. She had no influence. She had no money, yet he used her to bring his son into the world. In fact, the very next assignment that Paul and his companions have in verse 16, it's a slave girl. She's got no power. She's got no influence. God opens her heart as well. The very next person they meet after her is a jailkeeper. Think of him as like a middle-class type person. So they go from Lydia, wealthy, to a slave girl who's poor, to a jailkeeper, and on and on the story goes. God can open the heart of anybody, and he spreads his kingdom through all of us by opening our hearts. This is what he does with Lydia, let's pick up the story in verse 14. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. That means that she was a Gentile convert to Judaism, and she's about to be a convert to Christ. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized... And her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. It's an important phrase. We've been noticing in the book of Acts that it's God who does the conversion. It's God who opens hearts. It's God who lifts the veil. I've said this before, but I need to say it to some of you again. I know you have a loved one. I know you have a neighbor. I know you have a coworker. I know you have a family member who you want to come to Christ, and you're trying so hard to convince them to come to Christ. But that's not your assignment. That's God's assignment. God opens hearts. He opened Lydia's hearts, and he can open the hearts of those who you care for, the folks that he's called to come to Alpha this fall. He knows who they are. Our assignment is to invite them to the table and to love them in Jesus' name, and it's God's assignment to open their hearts as he's opened our hearts. The Lord opened her heart. Paul's assignment was to preach the gospel throughout the land, those women had their assignment to gather week after week on the Sabbath and pray, and God used all of that together and opened up Lydia's heart. In New York City some years ago, my assignment was to sit in that diner week after week and read scripture with private school boys. And it was Theodore's grandmother's assignment to pray day after day for him. And the Lord opened Theodore's heart to the gospel. He gets the glory God does. 
whatever Paul said to Lydia is left to our imagination. We don't know what Paul said to Lydia, the seller of purple goods. I like to imagine that Paul sat there among these women praying, met Lydia, who at that point had only known the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. I like to imagine Paul looking at Lydia and saying, you sell purple robes to kings? Let me tell you about a king, the king of kings. Unlike all the kings you've probably met, this king, his name was Jesus, was humble, gracious, When he saw people who were sick, he healed them. When he saw people who were hungry, he fed them. When he saw people who were being struck, he said, now turn the other cheek. He preached grace and truth. And a lot of people started following him and his movement grew and it upset the local authorities so much that they decided they needed to get rid of him. People were calling him king. And the earthly kings around him were upset by that. And so they took him. And you know what they did? They beat him. They beat him up. And some Roman soldiers thought it would be funny to take a purple robe, to place it on him. And while they beat him, to mock him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they took off that purple robe and they hung him on a cross. But you remember how I said he was king of kings? He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He walked out of his own grave and he showed the people who mocked him and the whole world that he was the Messiah, God's own son, that he really is and was the king of kings. I don't know if Paul said all of that to Lydia. But he might have tied the purple robe to her. He might have contextualized the gospel. But it was the Holy Spirit who opened her heart. You see, the people in this story were just following their assignments. And God is giving all of us assignments all the time. And will we stop? Will we slow down? Will we open up our minds and pray and say, Lord, do you want me to turn right or do you want me to turn left? I want you to show me what my assignments are. Because you might be assigning me a place where someone's heart is about to be opened to receive you, to receive your gospel. It occurs to me that there might be someone even in this room right now who hasn't had that heart open experience. So I'm going to pray right now that if that's you, this might be the time. And the Holy Spirit would open your heart and you would behold him, just like young Theodore on Martha's Vineyard, just like Lydia at this riverside. And I'm going to also pray that if there's anyone in this room who needs to hear from God, should I turn right or should I turn left, that God would instruct you and show you what your next assignment is. So let's quiet our hearts and seek to hear. Holy Spirit, it's you who opens hearts. And I pray that if there's anybody with an earshot right now, whether they're in this room or listening on podcast in the days to come, I pray that you might open up their hearts, that they might behold you, that they might see 
their sin and their culpability and the problems of this world, but that they would also see you, their Savior, the one who died in their place, the one who was beaten and mocked and hung to pay the price for all of our sins. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts. I also pray that you would open our ears to hear from you. You sent your Holy Spirit. You, spent this, you sent the Spirit of Jesus. You, spent a, you sent a vision to Paul. I pray that you would open our ears to hear how you're speaking to all of us. Maybe you want to tell someone in this room right now not to go to Bithynia, but to go to Macedonia. Not to go to fill in the blank, but to go to fill in the blank. You know how to communicate, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would do that. If anybody needs direction here, Lord, open their ears to hear what you're saying. Show us our assignments. Show us who to pray for. Show us who to share the gospel with. We trust you with these things. Expand your kingdom through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.